Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. This week, we take on the Facebook scandal and get our grifter on. We'll also talk about an upcoming Aziz Ansari movie and dive into On My Block. It's time for a top three turf war. So... Season two of the Amazon original Sneaky Pete came out recently and I decided I would casually consume it, you know, like just a little. Yeah, but you, you and just a little is a fail. Yeah, I failed hard. It is impossible not to binge this show. It's like crack. I'm literally (laughs) addicted to Sneaky Pete and it kind of got me thinking I don't think it's impossible. I didn't binge it. I didn't binge that first season. Oh my God. Like, I'm, no, I'm on season two. I'm done. I've seen everything there is to see. I even rewatched the first season all in like a few days. Anyway, it all got me thinking. What about movies about con men and cons and what whoa, whoa, whoa. are the top? Why, why movies though? Because you did, you did a TV show. I know, but it, I really couldn't think of that many TV shows about con men or cons. All right. I mean, it's really funny that you say that because I was thinking the other day of watching a movie called The Grifters, which I'd never actually seen before. Um, so yeah, great theme. I probably will still watch it soon. So so maybe it won't be on my list for this, but uh, it's definitely up there on something I want to watch. So I also want to watch The Grifters. I ended up watching A Fish Called Wanda instead, and we'll see if it made my list. All right. So count us down, starting with number three. What is your number three, Ivana? My number three con man movie is Ocean's Eleven. All right. We can talk about that a little later. It's a little bit higher on my list. Nice. Okay. What's your number three? So my number three is Maverick. I've never even heard of it. Maverick stars Mel Gibson. Uh, It is a Richard Donner film, and it's basically a, it's actually a adaptation of an old TV series called Maverick. And basically, Mel Gibson plays Maverick, who- Wait, was Mel Gibson in the TV show? No. The TV show, I think, was from like the 50s or 60s. Okay. And Mel Gibson plays this card player who- is such a hustler. Like, he's this really great hustler. But he hustles at everything. Like, whenever he's stuck, he figures out the the most con man way to get unstuck from the scenario. So, uh, for me, I, it's not the greatest movie in the world. Like, I'm not going to go, Maverick is in my top ten movies of all time. You have to see Maverick. But I definitely think it deserves its spot on this list. Well, I have to say... I'm kind of glad it's on your list because I think now I understand why people use Maverick as a term. It's always confused me. I assumed it was from Top Gun. I guess it's from this movie. Well, I don't know. It's it's like a rebel. A Maverick is like a rebel. So it could be Top Gun because he was rebellious in his plane. And, you know, Maverick in the show is is a hustler and he always has... The idea and the con going. Do they use the word Maverick? Like, is there a character named Maverick? In yeah, Top Mel Gun? Gibson's name is Maverick in the in. in no, the in movie. Top Gun. Oh yeah, Tom Cruise is Maverick in Top Gun. Have you not seen Top Gun? No. <laughs> You've never seen Top Gun. I think we know what we're watching next week. I've never seen Top Gun. Um, and I I have to say this movie seems really cool, except for that Mel Gibson is in it. Oh, I also re- I also forgot it takes place in the Wild West. Okay, this movie sounds less cool. <laughs> Mel Gibson, Wild West. I don't know about this. <laughs> What's your number two? My number two is Argo. I didn't even think about Argo. That's a really, really, really good pick. Yeah, I I actually really like like that movie was a huge surprise to me. Who knew that Ben Affleck was such a great director? Um, well, everybody after Gone Baby Gone, and then after The Town, how have you um, not seen these movies? I, I don't know. I've never seen these movies. <laughs> like, Gone Baby Gone is a masterpiece. Wow. Okay. I mean, I really liked Argo, so perhaps I should watch these other movies. Um, 
I just, I loved it. I thought it was a really fun heist and a really fun con. And I liked that it was unlike the usual con or heist movie because we're not talking about um, stealing something or taking people's money. We're talking about saving people and we're integrating Hollywood and movie production into it. And I just loved that movie. Me too. I love Argo. I of course it's a con movie. I didn't even think or consider it as a con movie, but you're so right. It it has that whole John Goodman and Alan Arkin thing going on that is I love that. Planning it from the get-go. I I think that is a a great pick. I got to put it on my honorable mentions. My number 2, I don't think is going to be on your list. What is it? My number 2 is The Sting. I've never even heard of it. So it's Paul Newman and Robert Redford, and it's an older film. Um, The Quint from Jaws, Robert Shaw, he plays kind of the bad guy that they're playing the con on. It has one of the best scores of all time, and it is so much fun. Uh, I think it may have won Best Picture that year. It is definitely one of those movies... That if you haven't gotten a chance to get around to it, you have to watch The Sting. Uh, Paul Newman is basically taking the young con man under his wing for a really, really big score. And you get to watch him set up The Sting. That's why they call it The Sting. And bring Robert Shaw in so that they can kind of bamboozle him. Uh, Because he's not a great guy. And you, you love it. You love all of the things that are happening. It's so much fun. Great score. I highly recommend The Sting. All right. Are you ready for my number one? Yeah. Can I guess? Yes. Catch me if you can. How? How did you know this? We haven't even talked about this. Yeah. I don't know why I keep knowing what your number one movies are going to be. I always know, though, all the time. I'm clearly too much of like this open book. You just know everything about me. (laughs) <laughs> my number one we had earlier, which was Ocean's Eleven, is my number one movie. I find I go back to it all the time. Why is Catch Me If You Can better at like the number one point over Ocean's Eleven in your opinion? I think Ocean's Eleven is a little bit more like candy. Like it's great. I really like Ocean's Eleven. It's obviously number three on my list. I think it's this fantastic heist movie where all the pieces come together and at the end you get a really great payoff. But the whole thing seems like fluff, where Catch Me If You Can is both fun and exciting and has, like, the con, but it also delves into, like, the true depth of human emotion, loss, what does it really mean to be a con man, um... And it's a little bit more real and less shiny than Catch Me If You, uh, than Ocean's Eleven. So, and and not only that, but Catch Me If You Can, I mean, the performances, Amy Adams, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, it is just such a great movie and it's fun to watch even though it has depth. And so that's why I think it is the number one heist con man movie that exists. I mean, it has a kind of a tragic story in there, too, which not a lot of con man movies have. Yeah, it's true. It's a little bit more of a realistic take, um, but it still has fun with it. I mean, it is like a lot of the montages show a lot of the fun. Um, Definitely. I think it's like Leonardo DiCaprio at the height of his career, too. It's just a, a great movie. Actually, Tom Hanks was even in the height of his career, It's kind of like perfect timing, perfect movie. Uh, So my number one being Ocean's Eleven is is mostly because of the dynamic with that cast. There is Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with sitting down with that cast anytime. Which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the original or are you talking about the Brad Pitt? I'm talking about the Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Steven Soderbergh film. Um, I don't really like the Frank Sinatra version. I find it slow and too much too much exposition with long shots like it it, or with wide shots i should say i don't Mm -hmm. like that that kind of film uh well i just think they do so much good things with oceans 11 i love that it takes place in in our world these characters live in our world with real like 
That that opening scene with Brad Pitt trying to teach actors how to play poker, and you got Joshua Jackson, and uh, <laughs> you've got the woman. I don't know her name, but she's from Charmed. Like all these oh, WB yeah, yeah. stars are there. Yep. And I just thought that was so clever. How they introduce each character is really clever. Um, and it ends so well. It does. You know, that movie is a perfect payoff, um, which is just so much fun. I, I, I have to say I agree. It's a really fun, great movie. The cast is fantastic. Are you excited for Ocean's 8? I'm really excited. I to am see a that little one. bit excited. I actually saw the trailer and while I was watching another movie. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, I'm I I could get on board with this. This looks kind of fun, and mm-hmm. I I loved I loved the uh, <laughs> the the idea that they're stealing jewelry, and these this jewelry is Anne Hathaway's, and it looks amazing. Like if they cut these props, they look great. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So we've got to build a list, and I think. We should have Catch Me If You Can at number one and Ocean's Eleven at number two. Yes, I completely agree. Now, what stays for number three? Obviously, Maverick's I want to vote for Argo. Yeah, Margo, Maverick's off the list. Uh, and then there's I, The Sting. I, I See, it's hard for me to argue The Sting because you haven't seen it. I know. So this is, I'm going to have to rely on you. You've seen Argo. You've seen The Sting. What's the better con man movie like if we're talking just con men they had to build a con for life and death situations in argo uh and then i'm assuming they never conned anyone again it was just a one-time deal right whereas the sting these men are con men and they've been common their lives you live with them you you revel in their victories and when they're defeated you're like oh man i feel real terrible for these these characters so in in my opinion, going with the theme, I think the Sting deserves it more than Argo, because I think Argo is just creative thinking more than these people are actually con men. Okay, you know, I I think that I could be swayed by that argument. I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think you have to watch the Sting. Clearly, maybe even more than the Grifters. You might fall in love with Paul Newman all over again. I don't think I, other than the guy who's in front, who whose face is on those um, salad dressings, I don't know that I know who Paul Newman is. So then you definitely have to watch a sting because this is Paul Newman at his, at the height of his like cool hand Luke time. And he's so good. He's so good. So check it out. Let's count this down. Number three, the sting. Number two, Ocean's Eleven. And the number one best con man movie, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, honorable mentions. Catch Me If You Can is right there. Number one honorable mention. Um, For mine, Inception. It's technically a con movie. Inception as a... Because they have to get the idea into his brain. Mm-hmm. Never would have thought that. That's very creative of you. Uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I really want to see that. I have a large list of things, movies I want to see. Um, War Dogs. That is a great con movie. Is it a con movie? I think so. They're conning people into thinking they're having a legit business. No, that I de- I want to see it then because I I didn't get that from the trailers. I got it as like these people are at a school and kind of dumb. And they didn't realize how much they under uh, underpriced the product. No, no, I I think they they totally knew what they were doing. They're illegally uh, like selling guns. Right. No, no. I yeah, I know that part. I just it's think- it's like if you okay here here's the deal. You'll like War Dogs if you liked uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, I'm not gonna like it. All right. Wolf of then Wall Street could have been you. an honorable mention actually. Yeah, I just didn't like it enough for it to be an honorable mention. It is, it's good. I liked it, but, you know, not enough. The Road to El Dorado is my last honorable mention. Uh, oh, this, that's that, like, the um, the animated one, right? With Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh. 
Oh, Kevin Klein. What a gem of a man. And it's just about uh, two guys that are conning their way through life. Uh, and they find a tip to the road to El Dorado. And they're just kind of adventurers. And they talk their way out of situations because they are con men. And I, I didn't give this movie a lot of thought the first time I saw it. And then it was like four bucks on Google Play one day. And I'm like, oh, I'll probably rent that again in my life. I'll, I'll just buy it. And since buying it, I've watched it about three more times. I I genuinely think it's a fun movie. I've seen it, I feel like, while doing other things. So not really paying attention. And I remember being like fairly entertained. I have a pretty long list of movies I need to see about con men. Um, Matchstick Men looks amazing. Yeah, I the never Grifters, saw that one. Yeah, me, t- me neither. The Grifters, really want to see that one. Um, Focus, never heard of it before, but it looks super cool. Definitely do not want to watch Focus. I-, I think I'm over Will Smith for like forever. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I can't believe no you have seen that. It was a movie we watched in club. Yeah, I guess I missed that month. Yeah. And then, and then uh, I Confidence... And then I watched A Fish Called Wanda with Kevin Klein. Oh, and it didn't make it on your list. That's right. It did not make it on my list. It was it was like a fun movie, but nothing crazy special. Right. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is like a knockout in that film as far as as far as the con man trope. But in my opinion, Kevin Klein steals the movie. They're they're both really great in it. I think what what I didn't catch me for this movie was the plot. The plot was not like the, the story was not something that I thought was great. The performances were great. Um, the writing was witty, but the story didn't catch me. Gotcha. All right. So that's our top three turf war of con men. What's your favorite movie about confidence grifter people? Let us know on Twitter or uh, email us. So I've never been called to jury duty, but Blake has recently, and so has my friend Clark, and so have you, Jay. Why don't you tell us, what is it like to be a member of the jury? Well, I wasn't a member of the jury. Was Blake a member of the jury, or did he just get summoned to potentially become a member? He he was, he was let go. He didn't do anything. And I think the same happened with Clark. So... Did they did they try to get out of it? Like, did they write a note about like I can't because of reasons? Um, Blake did, and then he went back this in the summertime, and then he was like, there wasn't many cases, so he was let go. There you go. Okay, so today I spent the day at the Superior Court in Toronto, and they had basically uh we did the orientation. They asked, do you have any good reason not to do this? Um, Everybody kind of wrote down. So it's not a thing where you get to talk to a judge and say, judge, I'm crazy. I'm racist. I'm whatever. Let me out of this. Because there is not a checkbox that says I am racist. And that is how you are supposed to file that you have. You can't do it. So the which blew my mind because I've always had this thought that they're going to ask you a bunch of penetrating questions to be on a jury. It is not that at all. What it is, is you go in and you fill out a form. So, you know, if you are a, if you're the primary caretaker of your house or caregiver for your house, you write down caregiver and then you have to prove it with all the bills you pay, with like the disability that your spouse is on or whatever, or the divorce papers, you have to prove that you are the caregiver. You have you mean to get out of it? To get out of it. If you are your sole business owner or uh, like you own your own business and that's your livelihood, you have to prove by sending them your business license for your, your, your job. Like everything has to be proven. Yeah. So I sat there and then we got pulled into a courtroom. And that's when they put all of our juror numbers in our occupation. So they would be like, 646 actress. And you would get up and then you would walk on in and you don't say anything to the judge unless the judge asks you. And the questions that they're asking you aren't 
do you think you can stand trial? Do you think blah, blah, blah? It's more like, are you an actress? Are you working on something right now? Or, okay. or for me, it would be like marketing coordinator TV. What TV channel do you work for? And, right. and most of the time, they don't ask anything. They The lawyers see you. You go up. You look at the defendant in his eye. I guess they're watching to see how you react to looking the defendant in the eye. And then the defense either goes contend, meaning sure, or challenge, meaning your excuse, get out of here. Really? So were you challenged or contended? Well, they already made up a jury of 12 and had alternates by the time I was like, I, my name hadn't been called. So I left to go back downstairs to wait for another trial. And the jury foreman guy, basically, or the, not the foreman, but like the guy who's in charge of us just said, okay, uh, that's it for the day. You can go home now. I didn't have it. There was no other jury that I had to do anything with, but I have to go back tomorrow at 930. Oh, you got to be back tomorrow. Okay. So you could potentially be there for an entire five days. If you got there on a Monday, you could potentially go back every day. Until you are either on a jury or there's nowhere else to put you by a certain day. So by tomorrow, if they have all the jury, mem- all the juries for like all, let's say, five cases they're going to try this week, we'll all be excused and that'll be the end. Of it. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I had no idea this process. It is insane. And like, you walk into the court and they read the charges of the defendant who is right there. You you see him and, you know, you, you're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to do anything. So I can't talk about like what what his case was. But I will say it was a criminal case. Uh, and it would have been if I had landed on that jury, I would have been uh, on that jury for 10 days. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like. Let's say you're on one of the big cases, um, you know, like a big murder case or something like that. Are you then you're just there for however long? You're there for however long. Uh, after 10 days in Canada, they pay you 40 bucks a day. After 50 days, they pay you 100 bucks a day. Um, unless 55 zero? 55 zero, yeah. Wow. Two times, Two times tech. tech. No, two two times. Two. So okay, right. One, two, two times. Three. No, ten. no. Go on three and then go. One, two, three. Two times. Two tech. times. Tech. <sighs> Tufts University just developed a tiny sensor that uh, attaches to your teeth, and when you eat, it analyzes everything that goes into your mouth. What? Okay. So it's not quite ready to hit the commercial market, and it only identifies some foods at this moment, but this could be a technology that changes everything. Right. It's basically like a like a Fitbit for your mouth. It tells you how many calories you consume, whether you're getting uh, all the nutrients and vitamins you need from your food, if you're eating too much sugar. Woohoo. I hate sugar. Or salt. <laughs> Uh, It's also pretty much a life changer for diet researchers who previously had to use tactics like self-reporting, epidemiological data, or removing people from regular life and like putting them into a lab for short periods of time to test hypotheses. Well, now they can actually implant these devices and they can just let the data roll in. Okay, take it easy there. There was a lot of words there, hypotheses. (laughs) Epidemiological data. Okay, Um, you know how passionate I am about food science. I mean, honestly. I get it. But you lost me at epidemiological. Epidemiological. Um, Honestly, what I think is going to happen from this is our scientists are going to prove that added sugar is the devil. And everyone will admit that I wasn't crazy when I gave up added sugar in my diet. And they're all going to say, Ivana, you're so right. And plus, this little device is going to help our scientific community prove my rightness in the world. All right. That, that is fair. But will you use this? Like, would I put it into my mouth? Yeah. Would you? Yeah. I think I would. I mean, 
Okay, so the picture in the article that is linked in our show notes, um, it makes it look like almost tooth jewelry. I'm not all on board on that. I would want it to be hidden. I don't want to put a little gold square on my tooth. But yeah, I think I would totally do this because let's be honest, it's like it'd be really great to just eat and live your life and get the data from it. Would you do it? Uh, I would. Same thing. Like if it went behind the tooth or something and you didn't see it. Uh, yeah, I'd give it a try. Like I've tried those apps where you're you're inputting your your daily what you're eating and stuff. And I always fall off it. Yeah. Like I can't spend my whole day thinking about what I eat. And to be honest, I like my philosophy of just make sure you're constantly thinking about how many vegetables you can stuff into your mouth. And otherwise, you're going to be good. Um, And it's a lot easier because then you're not sitting there inputting calories and all this stuff. And also, the calories of foods isn't necessarily what matters. I think probably it's more important to think about nutrients, to think about fiber, to think about those things. I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest. You are probably going to be shocked at how much we all eat. Yeah, I mean... I know I eat a lot. I feel like a lot of times when I go out to eat with people, they're like, they're sitting there and they're eating kind of shittier foods, but eating like a lot less quantities. And then meanwhile, I've got like giant platefuls, but I eat a lot of vegetables and and they fill you up for a really long time, but you also need to eat a lot of them. But then you got to eat your vegetables. I mean, they're vegetables. I think I had like, I'm going to get a donut right now just having this conversation. No, no way. Um, do you think that this is going to like help people lose weight? Like most diets out there, we all know, they don't really work. I think that's why people will try this. Yeah, I agree. I think most people will try it to lose weight. But I don't think that that's the, like counting your calories through a tooth implant is not going to lead to late weight loss any more than anything else. Well, It always just takes a dedicated person and somebody who's going to do the time, put in the exercise, really make a lifestyle change. That's how you lose weight. Um, I don't think this little ah is going to change the world, but it will give us more insight into, like you said, added sugars, fructose, all that stuff. I bet this thing not only will give out data, but say like, what is also the things you should avoid? Right. I I would hope so. Or like the things that you should have more of, like you don't have enough vitamin B or whatever. Show me a graph of what I'm low at and then tell me the foods I need to eat to get to that level. That would be a pretty big game changer. You could totally, your body could 100% be a video game. You could recharge certain aspects of your body if you saw a graph of what was low and what was not all the time. Oh, I got to go get some potassium. Going to pick up a banana. I, I, You know what? I love this way of thinking about this. Jay, I think you've revolu- revolutionized food right now. Turn it into a game. Because games are fun and I am thinking all in games. But something that's not fun is all the stuff that we're learning about food. Facebook right now. Right. So, okay. Our second story, in my opinion, isn't exactly news. And that's what I want to talk about. So Facebook has come under a lot of attack in the, you know, actual news recently and across social media because it's been harvesting our data. And I just don't get it. What's not to get? First, like, It seems Facebook has been storing data from Android phones, including, you know, your name, your phone number, the length of each call you made and received. Like they're taking all that super stuff we didn't expect them to take. Right. But like we should know this about Facebook. Like the whole point of Facebook is they take our data. And I mean, I get that this isn't data from within their app and it's associated with actual phone use. Um, But I mean, you had to opt in, right? And unfortunately, it's Android users like you, Jay, and not iPhone users like me 
who have this breach of privacy. Well, that's true because iPhones, they tend to uh, have way stricter controls over what apps can and cannot access, what you can and cannot do with them. I mean, there's the downside is also that that means the iPhone user experience isn't as fleshed out as an Android's. Right. But we should know that it is like this opt-in service, right? So when you use your mess Facebook and your Messenger app, like you had to opt into letting your data go into the app. They had like little screens in the news stories and it seemed pretty transparent in my opinion. Well, of course, a lot of apps are. They ask you like, can we use this? Can we see this? Can we see this? And you say, yes, yes, yes. Um, Not that we're defending Facebook here, uh, but when you do get a new app, you get all the pop-ups and you get to say no to certain things right out of the gate. Right, yeah. Right away they'll say, do you want to have... a background app refresh? Do you want it to be able to use where you are? All that kind of stuff. That's um, right. And then there's an, another news story that's been hitting the news about Facebook, which ha- also is a big data breach. And this one comes out from a company called Cambridge Analytica, and they use like the data from 50 million Facebook users to spread fake news and perhaps to influence the outcome of the election where I know I know but we're not president was going to get down the Trump thing today you know we're talking about an app that literally found a loophole in Facebook privacy to allow the company you know to access personal data associated with accounts that didn't opt in Right. So what happened was if they let out this quiz and if users took the quiz, then that user's friend's data was completely open to that company. So if you have Aunt Billy Bob, I don't know why she has that name, who decided to take this silly quiz, your data is now at breach all because of this one crazy ant who doesn't know how Facebook works. You don't become a $75 billion company for, like, not being shady. Right. So I guess that's what I'm confused about because all this stuff is super shady. You're totally right. But didn't we all already know it already? I thought we did. This has been something that we have been talking about for years. We talked about it with Google Plus. You know what? This is the thing. Google gets all the headlines and Facebook doesn't. So Google gets all the data, 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 data. They're taking your data. They're selling you ads. And Facebook somehow got buried. See, I don't get that because like I'm a lot less guarded with my Google because Google's also been a little bit more transparent, I think about how they use your data. Um, yeah, and I would agree. Fa- yeah, and, and they also remove the person from the data in a lot of ways. Like, they scrub you, or at least they say they do. Um, but Facebook really asks for very personal information. They want to know what you like. They want to know where you work. They want to know everything. And, That's right. Where, um, where did you go to elementary school? Exactly. And they they have this very personal look at you. Um, and they have ads that actual people are able to target. I want people who live in this geographic region and like cats. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. They're, to me, I've always been more concerned about Facebook than I have um, Google. Perhaps I should really just be concerned about everyone. Um, and the data that you put online. Now, are you going to leave Facebook after this? No, because for me, nothing's changed. So, and and I don't put like real personal information on there. Yeah, I mean, I I I've stopped using so many things lately. I just jump in every once in a while when I get tagged in something, just as so I know that I'm getting tagged in something. That's really my whole reason for being on Facebook now. Uh, okay. So why don't you tell us your thoughts? Are you abandoning Facebook or, uh, yeah, you knew this the whole time. It's not a big deal for you and you'll keep, uh, plugging away. Tell us your thoughts. Let us know. 
pitch a flick. This week we decided to create a movie that stars Aziz Ansari and Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein being that wonderful, wonderful person, and Aziz Ansari, who you feel uncomfortable talking about after the scandal. I don't think so. I don't think his 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 scandal doesn't seem like other people's scandals. I'm very, very possible. I just think people are. They did a whole sketch on uh, Saturday Night Live. But people feeling uncomfortable about talking about his season, sorry. Yes, them thinking exactly what I just said just now, being like, that doesn't sound like the same thing. It's possible. Okay, so what we're going to do is we are going to tell you our plot and our characters and who is going to direct our movie and give us a title as well. Uh, Ivana, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You go first. All right. So Aziz Ansari is a medic with an uh, with a drug addiction, and he tries Wait, to what's get your to genre? these meetings. Pardon me. What's your genre? Start with genre. Oh, you're gonna know the genre after I tell you the plot. But uh, so this is a this is gonna be a heavy genre. Uh, sorry, this is gonna be a really heavy fi- film. It's a heavy drama. And Aziz Ansari is a medic with a drug addiction and he tries to get to these meetings weekly so that he can, he can start beating it. Uh, But, you know, living in the day-to-day real world, seeing everyday politics, it's eating at him uh, because he is a Muslim and he is sinking further and further in depression as he watches the government basically uh, just totally alienate him and his sponsor played by Kevin Klein. He's also trying, he's trying to make peace with his family, but as he ages, he is prescribed more and more drugs and he's trying to keep it to a minimum because of his addiction. His brother, a priest played by Billy Connolly tries to keep him safe from himself as well. So the story is about how being close to someone with the similar affliction isn't necessarily a good thing for you, especially when an addict can get pills so easily. Um, the film is going to be directed by Gus Van Sant, who did wow. Elephant and Goodwill Hunting. Uh, and the title is going to be Lost Sanctuary. That sounds like a really good film. I'm terrified of how we are going to do this mashup. Yeah, pitch a flick is we both pitch a flick and then we try to mash them together. It's going to be different. (laughs) All right. What is yours? Mine is, um, so obviously, mine's a spy comedy. I see. Okay. Uh, It's directed by Edgar Wright. Fun. It's starring Aziz Ansari, obviously, who plays an FBI agent, um, a struggling one. Kevin Klein, who is a con man and a master corporate spy. Um, Lena Waithe, she was most recently seen in Ready Player One as H. Uh, She plays the engineer and is also a magician. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, we have Jason Manzukis. He plays the muscle. Um, Jason Siegel, who plays a coder, a developer. Um, and Aubrey Plaza, who is Aziz Ansari's love interest, as well as a cat burglar. Um, and also we have Lucy Liu playing the FBI boss. Our plot. Wow. These are very different films. Aziz Ansari is a young FBI agent looking to prove himself and failing hard. And he somehow manages to get assigned the biggest case of the year as an undercover agent because he happens to live next door to the world's most elusive corporate spy, Kevin Klein. His boss, Lucy Liu, tries to keep a short leash on her least impressive agent as he finds himself entrenched in a plot to steal a new technology from Tesla Motors. He's working with an elite crew of con men, hackers, and thieves. With this new family, he finally finds himself a home and acceptance that he's never had before. 
Is he going to be willing to turn the tables on them and turn them in, all to become an FBI star? And the title is Binary. Okay. I mean, I, I'm i interested to see your movie. I don't know how I we mean, mash these two together. I know. Like, this is like the most incongruent mashup of all time. Um, I... I, I think we I like your your plot. Can we mash up my cast and your plot? I would like to see all of your cast actually do something dramatic. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think it'd be really fun. And um, given your plot with addiction, we have the ability to create like an addict support group. Well, at, at these meetings, these can be all of the characters at the meetings. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. So I say, I say we go with your plot. Um, I think we take my cast, throw them in there. Um, and what we really need now is the title and the director. I and think binary I th- still works. Yeah, I think we can go with binary even for your movie. I think that'll work for either. Absolutely. Now the question uh, is... I don't think Edgar Wright can do this movie. I don't think he would want to do this movie. I don't think he'd want to do this movie either. <laughs> I think I think it's it still should stay with Gus Van Sant. Okay. All right. Um, do we try to mash up the plots at all? Like, um, do we make so it? I have to tell you how I got to this. I have to tell you why I picked a heavy drama. Right, because I was just going to say, like, that seems so unusual for you. So Kevin Klein for me, is always at his best when he's doing something dramatic. So Life is a House, I, I love Kevin Klein in Life is a House. Uh, Aziz Ansari, because of the scandal, I wanted to show him differently than the comedy guy. I wanted to, like, okay. originally I was going to make him, like, honestly, like, a criminal. Which I guess in a way he is, but I just felt like, okay, he's got to have something redeeming about him. So his job is a medic. So he's still right. trying to save people, but he's also got this horrible addiction. So right. I, and he, I he has all like this the access. Film that turns, yeah. I feel like it, this could be the film that people see and go, holy shit, Aziz Ansari is back with this amazing performance. Um with that said, I also did it because I was looking at the landscape of Hollywood and Hollywood isn't investing a lot of money in dramas anymore, like really heavy dramas. It's either, uh, you know, the big blockbuster stuff or small sci-fi stuff right. or these new nostalgia films like It and Horror, but they're not putting a lot of money into like these personal dramatic stories as often anymore. So I was like, oh, I'd like to see a big director do another drama. I, I think that's really like fascinating. I like that. Um, I wonder if we can add like some sort of mix of plot elements in our story where perhaps there is a desire among some of these people to steal some like to steal and deal some of these yeah, pills. They could, it could be like a heist a heist kind of thing. We're gonna we're gonna go do this. Like we're gonna we're gonna steal something and and maybe maybe Kevin Klein's brother tries to talk Kevin Klein out of it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or like they're just like maybe Aziz Ansari is stealing pills and he is straight but he's selling them to the people in his support group or, Oh, you know. that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's mm-hmm. devious. Yeah. Very devious. So that is, yeah. that is my, that is our, our pitch of flick segment. What do you think of binary? This is top drawer TV. Couple weeks ago, we asked you to log into your Netflix account and watch the pilot of on my block it's a new show on the netflix uh and we watched the first episode and we're gonna tell you what it's all about right now so we open 
at a high school house party in what appears to be a low-income neighborhood with a bunch of teens doing what teens do. Drinking, dancing, smoking weed, making out, all that kind of stuff. And that's when we meet our leads, Jamal, Monse, and Ruby. Eighth graders, they're on the cusp of joining the high school scene. They're looking over a fence into the party world and waiting for their best friend, Caesar. All right, let's break it down. There's Ruby. He's smart and scrappy, doing taxes for the families on the block, and a lover of the ladies. Then there's Jamal, destined to join the football team and follow in his father's footsteps. Even though he can't stand the sport and he's not exactly large and in charge. And then there's Monse. She's super smart and headed to a writer's camp on scholarship for the summer. This is a great opportunity and she has got the best chance of moving up in the world and out of this neighborhood. And then finally we meet Caesar. He comes from a gang family. His brother is currently in jail and he earns respect because of that association with older people on the block. But really... He's special because he's really self-aware and wants nothing more than to see Monse get out of the hood. Air quotes. Hood. (laughs) All right. So we're back at the party. A gunshot rips through the air and everyone runs and they play their favorite game. Name that gun. (laughs) It It was just really weird to see that. Like the funny on the gun. Gotta say. <laughs> and that it was a game to them. Like they, I thought that was a, a really great stroke of genius on uh, the writer's part. Yeah. Fast forward to the end of the summer, right before high school begins. Monse is back and she's, uh, she's developed in the. Uh, she has boobs. She's, she's, yeah, got, she's boobs. got boobs. That's right. Thank you for saying it. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> And just like she's not the same as she was when she left, things are not the same on the block. Her friends are no longer united and Caesar has left the group. Yeah, no one tells her what happened and they're throwing major shade at Caesar and being hella evasive. She spends the rest of the episode trying to figure out what happened and she's not exactly happy when she gets the truth. Turns out Caesar told everyone that he smashed her hard and she finds out while she shows and she finds out while he throws major disrespect her way in front of his brother and the other gang members. As the episode goes on, we learn that Caesar wasn't lying and even worse that he was trying to protect her from being claimed by his older brother, which is disgusting. Yeah, remember, she's just about to start grade nine. Anyway, it's complicated, and Monse eventually forgives him, only to find out that he's been jumped in. He's officially a member of the gang. It's not an outlier any longer, and going into episode two, the final line is, we're going to save him. Setting up probably the next bunch of episodes, but we only watched the first episode. I'm just going to jump in and say I like this show a lot. I I know, it's so good. I thought it was really funny. But I also thought it was a, a different way in to a low-income area. It looks like 90s Compton, but it is today. And I, I, I like this angle of watching these kids who are really smart. Um, they're like the geeks of the neighborhood. And, and how they have to navigate their world. Yes. I mean, to me, this show no offense to everything sucks, is, like, so much better. I mean, we just recently watched um, that show. It's also about high school kids and kids in grade nine. And, I mean, this is, like, worlds apart to me in terms of elevation, in terms of content, in terms of watchability. What did you think of the actors and who was your favorite? I love Monse. I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm a girl... I have predominantly male friends that I hang out with and and had a high school experience like that. Um, With, I mean, don't get me wrong, I did have female friends, just a lot of guy friends. Um, And I just, I I like that she's smart. I like that she's different. I like that she's headstrong. I like that nobody can tell her what to do. I don't know. I just, I freaking loved her. I think she's so great. Yeah, I liked her a lot. I think 
uh, for me, Jamal made me laugh like more than any other character. Um, and not that this is what this can be any, this show can be anything you want it to be. The show can be dramatic. This can be a representation that you don't normally see in these kind of 30 minute shows. But for me, I took the comedy that Jamal was throwing out and I loved it. I loved every second of it. Oh and my God. Jamal. Because I'm a big nerd. I, I just think it's like when he started, when he all of a sudden like throws himself on the ground and is like rolling around and Monse is like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, just go with me. Just go with me. And he pretends like he's been in football practice. Oh, my God. And he's been rolling <laughs> around in a jersey all day. I loved that. That was fantastic. Yes. I love that he can't keep a secret. For me, I think it wasn't even that he told her. It was when he called Ruby afterwards and is like, so what's the context? Which obviously is not and something he would. it was a three-way would... call. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's I just Monse on the freaking phone trying to listen in. This is how television should be, folks. None of this go for deep. This wins you over halfway through the episode when you meet Ruby's new roommate in Grandma. Yeah. You are one over. Okay, this is what I mean. Like this is this is a great pilot. I I think it's worth noting too regarding this show. It's an entirely, like, it's a cast of of 100% people of color. Yes. And they are the leads. And this show is fucking good. I'm only noting it because if you're on the fence, watch the show. Like, I don't think that there's enough people putting eyes on this sort of thing. And I think we got to support it so that more can get made because, man... This show is awesome. And just keep this in mind. Netflix series are usually amazing. Netflix movies are the ones you avoid. This is a series. Give it a shot. Next week, we're going to go into the world of horror. And we're going to watch The Autopsy of Jane Doe. And that's our show. Thanks for listening, folks. And please be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to support the show, you can hop onto your podcast service and subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, why not score a quick rating or review? Our intro song comes from bensound.com, and we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and sound effects. Ivana and I love hearing from you, so we actually built this website on how you can reach out to us at morethemovies.net. But in case you hate websites, you can also email us, hello at morethemovies.net. Find us on Facebook, More Than Movies Podcast. Or catch us on Twitter, I'm at It's Ivana. And I'm at Jester J. Thanks again for spending some time with us, and we'll be back again next week with a commercial-free episode. And until next time, friends, do more and watch more. (laughs) 